Italy actually has a uh, common law that uh, requires the captain to remain on the vessel and to be the last one to leave. And if he is not the last one to leave, uh, he might risk uh, as uh, long as two years in jail. If the vessel is lost, the jail time uh, exposure increases. And of course, if the boat was carrying passengers and anybody was lost, uh, the um, punishments can be very severe. This is Lawyer to Lawyer, the award-winning legal podcast with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. West Coast meets East Coast, and yes, they are attorneys, bringing you the latest legal news and observations every week with the leading experts in the legal profession. Produced right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. Thanks for listening today. This is Bob Ambrogi coming to you from an unusually balmy Massachusetts for January. Where, where Craig, I'm happy to tell you that the temperature reached about 60 degrees yesterday. Uh, how's the weather there wow. in Southern California? <laughs> well, it is sunny and warm. We're expected to hit 80 today. We have the obligatory uh, snow dusting in the mountains. We keep our snow where it belongs, unlike you guys. But uh, I'm Craig Williams from a very sunny and warm Southern California. We'd like to... Uh, uh, tell you that we both write some legal blogs. I write a legal blog called May It Please the Court. Bob, I know you write a couple. Blog called Law Sites and another one called Media Law. And we'd also like to thank our sponsors, Clio, a web-based practice management software program for lawyers at goclio.com and PC Law from LexisNexis at pclaw.com slash radio. Well, uh, and I'm actually going to, I know I'm going to see the good, the Clio folks uh, next week at Legal Tech. Uh, looking forward to that uh, and uh, it'll be an interesting time. Craig, uh, uh, as everybody knows and, and has heard by now, on January 13th, a luxury cruise ship Costa Concordia slammed into a reef just off the coast of the small Italian island of Giglio. More than 4,000 passengers got off the ship safely, thank God, but 16 people died. Uh, 17 are still unaccounted for. The ship's captain, Francisco Scatino, is under house arrest. Uh, some reports say the captain jumped into a lifeboat four hours before the last passengers were rescued. And Italian prosecutors are consequently looking into manslaughter charges as well as possible charges of causing a shipwreck and abandoning ship. Today on Lawyer to Lawyer, we're going to look at the plethora of legal issues surrounding this cruise ship tragedy. And joining our conversation is attorney Joseph McFall. Joe is special counsel for Sedgwick LLP in Irvine, California, in the office I practiced out of for about the next week. Um, he focuses his, prime, his practice primarily in the areas of admiralty, real estate, and complex business litigation. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, Joe. Thanks for being here, and uh, thanks for uh, uh, having me uh, speak with both you and Bob on this uh, uh, very tragic situation. So let's start off the show by talking about the responsibility of the captain. Uh, we should have mentioned in the beginning that you yourself are a retired commander in the United States Coast Guard uh, from the JAG Corps, so you may have some ideas about that. But you know, specifically, does a captain's responsibility of standing by his ship differ from country to country or from ocean to ocean, or is there an international protocol on how that works? There's actually uh, not much. Uh, there's no official uh, uh, requirement uh, uh, in international law. It's one of those things that I would put in the category of custom of the sea. Um, each country does have uh, its own regulations, its own 
law, and uh, Italy actually has um, a uh, common law that uh, requires the captain to remain on the vessel and to be uh, the last one to leave. And if he is not the last one to leave, uh, he might risk uh, as uh, long as two years in jail. If the vessel is lost, the jail time exposure increases. And, of course, if the boat was carrying passengers and anybody was lost, uh, the um, punishments can be very severe. So uh, it is, uh, at least in this situation, uh, with uh, Italy and with the Italian skipper, uh, I think that uh, uh, the uh, Italian um, law will govern this. Well, what what decides that? Is it the is it the question of where the vessel is registered? Uh, is it uh, a question of where the vessel what what port the vessel is out of? Uh, how do we know which laws uh, apply in these cases? And um, that's one of the uh, uh, most complicated and fun issues in admiralty law is <laughs> which law applies, and it is uh, um, depending on what the issue is, it will depend on where the incident. Uh, happened, which in this case is Italy. It could also depend on the flag of the vessel. Uh, and in this case, the vessel, um, I think was flagged in Italy. Uh, so that would really tend to, uh, leave matters in the hands of the Italian authorities. Um, often ships are flagged in, um, other countries that may or may not have a very strong interest in, um, what actually goes on with the ship. Uh, cruise ships are, Treated a little bit differently uh, in the law because there uh, there are both uh, industry associations and strong interest uh, by uh, coastal uh, um, countries in the um, supervision of uh, cruise ship activities in a safe manner. Well, what what's our law here in the United States about uh, abandoning ship? And here, <laughs> there's actually no law which requires the captain to be the last one off the ship. There are United States code provisions which require the captain to operate the ship uh, in um, in a non-negligent fashion, and there are criminal um, statutes. Uh, the only one that I'm aware of that actually addresses the actions of the captain of the ship is that a ship that uh, fails to render aid to another vessel uh, uh, can uh, be uh, can incur criminal liability. What's the uh, what is the role of the Italian Coast Guard here? And I, I don't you, maybe you don't maybe you don't know this, but having served in the in the U.S. Coast Guard, I, I mean we've all heard this dramatic recording, uh, or at least translations of the dramatic recording of, of of the Italian Coast Guard officer essentially commanding the the captain to return to the ship. Uh, does that uh, impose any responsibility? To what extent is the captain required to? Uh, adhere to those kinds of commands from the Coast Guard? That's a very good question, Bob. And I think that the uh, I can tell you what the U.S. role would be is that in the United States, that part of the Coast Guard that would be responsible for the operation of commercial ships uh, is uh, under what's called the captain of the port, uh, which is a uh, title that's actually set out in the United States Code and um, governed by law. The captain of the port has the authority to issue emergency orders or even impose non-emergency conditions on the operating of vessels, including cruise ships. And in the United States, if that order had been given by the captain of the port or his representative, 
the captain of the ship could face civil and criminal liability if he didn't follow that order. Um, obviously, the defense of impossibility or other <laughs> issues may arise, but an order to return to the ship, if the captain was capable of doing that and he failed to do it, um, would uh, be a very serious uh, violation. Uh, at a minimum, the captain would lose his uh, license, and uh, both the captain and uh, uh, anyone else who failed to comply with those kinds of direct orders exposed to very serious legal consequences. Do you know uh, which set of laws are going to apply to this situation? I'm assuming uh, that it's either going to be Italian, maritime, international, uh, maybe even European, uh, and or the flag where it's actually registered. And um, what I would uh, suspect, because this happened in Italy, and um, uh, the Italian Coast Guard took immediate charge of the situation, it, I think that Italian law will govern, especially the Italian laws that are specific to the duties of a captain, uh, and the law, any Italian laws which um, best control in the Italian Coast Guard uh, during emergency response um, conditions, which occurred here. But generally, maritime law is designed to have general principles that work uh, worldwide and in all circumstances. So there will always be a backdrop of uh, general international law that applies. Um, there will be careful scrutiny of the ship's uh, equipment, safety equipment, and its safety response equipment and personnel training. All of those are governed by the uh, Convention on Safety of Life at Sea, which is managed by the International Maritime Organization, an arm of the United Nations. And port states also uh, are members of a regulatory, international regulatory body that issue what are called uh, control verifications for ships that operate in their waters, even if they're not a, you know, a ship of that country's flag. So uh, those are standardized as well. So the control verification could be um, carried out by Italy, by the uh, flag state, or perhaps even uh, because the ship is apparently owned by Carnival Cruise Lines, which uh, has a United States base, there may be some United States interest uh, uh, as well. I'm just going to follow up with that and say for the people that are Americans uh, that were on the ship, and you know, obviously we know that 17 people are still missing. Some of them may be Americans. What venue are those folks going to bring their lawsuits in? Will they file here in the United States? One of the more famous U.S. Supreme Court cases has to do with the uh, choice of law and choice of form clauses that are printed on cruise ship tickets. And I don't know if any, any of uh, our listeners have been on cruise ships, but the cruise ship ticket is actually a relatively thick document uh, that sets out a number of uh, conditions in fine print. And one of those is a forum selection clause. I'd want to read the clause uh, on these tickets, but generally on cruise ships that uh, operate uh, in and out of U.S. ports, they will select a forum that is usually... Uh, in, in Carmel Cruise Lines cases, for example, those may be, the forum may be Miami, Florida. Uh, other cruise lines have selected the Central District of California, uh, uh, Los Angeles, for example. Um, because this is, uh, um, this ship was, uh, operating 
in Europe, it may have a form selection clause in Italy, but the form selection clauses generally are given effect. And I had wanted to follow up on, on something else you, you had mentioned in, in that previous answer, um, which was the, the, these conventions. Um, again, I've, I've, I've heard certainly in the days since this, uh, since this accident, a lot of speculation that uh, there will be uh, those conventions or that convention, those conventions, I don't know if it's a plural or singular, will, are likely to be revisited uh, in the wake of this, uh, particularly with regard to what they provide with regard to uh, uh, evacuation procedures, uh, training drills, that sort of thing. Uh, can you can you amplify on that? I mean, what what do these conventions specify about that, and what's likely to happen? Um, there, there's actually probably two uh, routes that will uh, happen immediately. First, um, because uh, the safety of life at C3D is actually a treaty, and it's signed off the way that any other international convention or treaty um, is uh, implemented. So sometimes it takes years to have a treaty uh, um, fully ratified. But the um, the one that's currently in effect, uh, SOLAS, is uh, constantly under revision and under um, attempting to make improvements as things go by. Uh, so uh, SOLAS does have specific provisions for the construction of passenger ships, for example, into watertight compartments so that if there's a partial rupture of the hull that the vessel may still remain afloat. There are provisions specifically for um, life-saving equipment, number of lifeboats, uh, you know, rescue boats, life jackets, and a requirement for uh, conducting drills and crew training. There's also, for lack of a better word, a uh, cruise industry uh, organization, the Cruise Lines International Association, uh, which uh, imposes uh, safety standards on its own members. And um, they take those uh, safety standards relatively seriously. And so uh, there will, again, uh, there's a requirement under the Cruise Line uh, International Association for crew member training, uh, lifeboats, uh, life rafts, and um, uh, safety measures relating to fire. Generally, the greatest perceived risk in operating cruise ships has been a fire at sea. Uh, you're just uh, there's no fire department, so your firefighting capability will have to come from the ship itself. So uh, most of the uh, uh, anticipated safety uh, regulations revolve around um, fire prevention and the firefighting capability of the ship. Well, this isn't the first time that a ship has run aground, I'm sure. But uh, And Joe, I, I have to admit I've had a little bit of a insight into this because you've shared with me some, some uh, nautical tracking of this ship. There's been some rumor and discussion that the ship or the owners of the ship uh, asked the captain to do a, a kind of a drive-by the uh, beach and give the passengers the opportunity to wave or give the people on the beach the opportunity to wave. Now, recognizing that this is night nighttime when this accident occurred, uh, it's a little hard to believe that, but you've seen the, the nautical tracking of this. What can you tell us about that, about how that occurred and what the accident looked like? The nautical tracking that I've looked at um, would... Uh, um 
indicate that the expected track of the ship uh, would have been generally westbound, and they would have proceeded a couple miles south of um, the island of Giglio. It appears that the ship actually um, approached the island itself so that it was north of its anticipated track and heading west directly into the island uh, with the intent of turning north and paralleling the coast. It appears that as it uh, was paralleling the coast, it was very close to the coast and passed within um, an area of shoal water uh, that probably um, caused the ship to uh, be damaged by rocks at that point. Um, it doesn't appear from the track that the ship might have been immediately aware that it had been damaged. Um, and the uh, recreation from the um, ship's information shows that the ship continued northbound for about 45 minutes, and it appears that somewhere in that time frame the ship realized that they were in trouble. It did a uh, almost a complete 360 degrees, and it appears that the captain was attempting to lay the ship um, alongside the beach or on the beach, which would be a much safer situation for the uh, passengers. Huh. And you've also had the opportunity to see some photographs uh, that are not generally available. Uh, can you describe those photographs that you've seen? For, the for photographs uh, um, show, uh, the photographs, of course, are still photographs that I've looked at. And these show um, uh, large groups of passengers wearing life jackets, and they also show um, that the uh, there that there were crew members who were attempting to do uh, attempting to do the right thing, and um, it's uh, difficult because the one difference between cruise ships and other ships is that almost all of the crew members on other ships are uh, you know have maritime training and background, where a lot of them crew members of a cruise ship uh, aren't really assigned marine-related duties, so they are not, um, you know, they'll be pursers or or uh, bartenders or, or uh, you know, room stewards, and so they don't have the general maritime background, and um, it appears that, at least in this situation, quite a number of those were, uh, uh, crew members actually were able to do a pretty good job under the circumstances. Yeah, I can. I could just say I. I uh, this is. Uh, it, it was a, a Massachusetts uh, person on that uh, ship uh, who I, I saw interviewed on a local uh, news show last night, who actually had high praise for the the crew members. He said that they were. Uh, his impression was that they were doing everything that they could uh, uh, within uh, reason uh, to help the passengers, but there seemed to be no uh, sort of command structure uh, coordinating at all. <laughs> And, and the command structure is very important. I'm sure that's what had the uh, the Italian Coast Guard concerned. You have a cruise ship at night that has already reported that it's lost electrical power, which means um, it may or may not have emergency lighting. And emergency lighting would be very disorienting to passengers. It might not be uh, that bad for crew members who are used to operating in low-light situations, but... Um, for passengers, this would be an entirely unanticipated circumstance. 
Well, we need to take a short break. Uh, we're going to uh, be back in just a few moments with much more on the Costa Concordia cruise ship tragedy when Lawyer to Lawyer returns. Hi, my name is Kay Kenny from Legal Talk Network, and I'm joined by Jack Newton, president of Clio. Jack takes a look at the process of moving to the cloud. Now, how long does it take to move to the cloud, and is it a difficult process? No, with most cloud computing providers, moving uh, your data into the cloud is something that takes just minutes, not hours or days to do. You can get signed up and running with most services in just a few minutes. And uh, even if you have an existing, uh, a legacy set of data that you want to migrate to a a web-based practice management system like Clio, there's migration tools and migration services that we're able to offer to ease that process. So most firms can be up and running to the cloud in less than in the cloud in less than five minutes and can have their data imported uh, in a matter of hours or days. We've been talking to Jack Newton, president of Clio. Thank you so much, Jack. Thank you. And if you'd like to get more information on Clio, feel free to visit www.goclio.com. That's G-O-C-L-I-O.com. You never have enough friends or followers, right? Check out Legal Talk Network on Facebook and Twitter, LinkedIn too. You can advertise with us at Legal Talk Network and have your own commercial play in this podcast. Just give us a call anytime at 781-551-9960 or shoot us an email at admin at legaltalknetwork.com. Tired of all the headaches of running your law firm? Want to spend your time doing what really matters? Then you need PC Law. PC Law from LexisNexis is the legal industry's best-selling matter, billing, and accounting software. It has never been easier to manage your law firm and serve your clients. Get back to doing what matters to you. For a free trial, go to PCLaw.com slash radio. That's PCLaw.com slash radio. Or call us at 800-685-2161 today. Someone's at the door. Don't answer it. Why not? I'm listening to Legal Talk Network podcasts to get my CLE credit in West Legal Ed Center. Oh, I need to do that too. Where do I find them? It's easy. Just go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and pick a program for CLE, click on it, and start listening. Or go to WestLegalEdCenter.com and choose from any of the Legal Talk Network programs available for CLE. Perfect. I'll do that right now. Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. We're joined by Attorney Joseph McFall. He's a special admiralty counsel for Sedgwick LLP in Irvine, California. And, Joe, the Costa Cruises, this cruise ship company that owns Costa Concordia, says the captain took this unauthorized route that caused a collision. Uh, Does that somehow get the company out of any liability? Or, uh, you know, since Carnival Cruises, the parent company for Costa Cruises, is Carnival in trouble for this? Um, that's uh, an, another good question. I, uh, I know this sounds like the maritime equivalent of a frolic and detour uh, <laughs> carried to an extreme. The the cruise line uh, should uh, have required very specific um, pre-approved track lines for the ships, and I'm sure they do. And so a departure from the track line uh, would normally – only occur under very serious uh, circumstances. Uh, and in cruise lines, I, I don't know 
how it would work in this particular case, but I would certainly want to make sure that my cruise ships are on pre-approved tracks and any significant deviation from those tracks for any reason at all would, uh, I would want to be uh, notified at the highest levels of the company that such a deviation occurred. Uh, you can't anticipate everything at sea. That was the beginning of the cascade of unfortunate events on the Exxon Valdez was that the ship departed from the track line and it departed to avoid ice. That's a re- legitimate reason to depart from the track line, but it's certainly a reason uh, that should raise the intensity of the situation and recognize that it's not a routine situation and um, carry out from there. So for the uh, owners to be liable, um, I would I think it would depend on the degree of control that they exercised and the degree of control that they required the captain to follow and how serious and whether or not the departure could have been anticipated. What what is the extent of the liability here? I mean, setting setting apart the 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 tragedies of of those who lost their lives here, uh, you know, a number, the, the vast majority of the passengers, the Thankfully, we're, we're able to get off. Uh, perhaps some some might have suffered injury. Uh, it appears many, you know, were not injured. Uh, is, what is the what is the cruise company? You know, what is their potential liability to, to those passengers? The um, liability is uh, under amnesty law. There is uh, some um, the the uh, elements of certain damages are. Um, uh, not all of those are available under Admiralty law that would be av- typically available in U.S. law. Um, also, the um, the ticket again limits uh, uh, the cruise ship's uh, liability for uh, um, for many elements of damages. Uh, so I would expect that uh, there would be relatively limited liability for. Uh, Things such as uh, uh, pain and suffering or emotional distress. Um, there may even be limits on um, on a wrongful death action uh, in the uh, in the cruise t- uh, ticket. I'd like to inspect the ticket to know that for sure. If I heard this right, the cruise company was offering the passengers a discount on a fur f- on a future cruise or, or something like that. I don't know if they were looking for a release in return for that, but it sounded kind of outrageous to me. And that's unfortunate. I think that's something that happens sometimes. Uh, people uh, handle events, uh, extraordinary events, um, in a way that they've handled every other event. In in my experience in, in representing cruise lines in the past, quite often uh, you will be working with disgruntled passengers who are complaining about all kinds of things. And they'll be the ones who will offer in return for having this horrific experience aboard your vessel they will suggest that you actually don't have to pay them any money, just a couple of vouchers so they can go out and be tortured again would be satisfactory. <laughs> I think that, that there may have been somebody who was uh, either forgot what actually happened on this event, that uh, um, this was uh, a, a um, just a, a disaster and a catastrophe. People lost their lives. Yeah. Uh, you're not going to offer a... Uh, um, you know, a discount ticket uh, realistically for people uh, who were um, uh, involved in a uh, shipwreck of this magnitude. Well, let's talk about that shipwreck from a standpoint and having, let's go back to the, the nautical track that you've seen. And, you know, it, and I've seen it too. It appears, as you said, that the, the ship headed almost 
directly west into a you know into a shoal area where there were rocks and then it turned abruptly and it close enough that it would have scraped the bottom and and as we've seen it ripped open the hull how could a captain or a crew continue on for 45 minutes not knowing there's such a gouge in the bottom of their boat and that they've got water coming in one of the things that because the ships are relatively large uh, vessels and they probably opened um, opened the hull below the water line and so they were probably taking on water in compartments that were not occupied or inhabited and those compartments probably filled to the limits of the watertight bulkheads and it would have taken some time for the ship to realize that it was handling a little more sluggishly, that there was a uh, list on the vessel, and um, that, ooh, uh, we might be taking on water. And somebody might have actually gone down to check um, the watertight bulkheads, and there's a way to do that to determine whether there's water on the other side, and probably then reported that we are taking on water. And um, that's that process could have taken 45 minutes. I, I can understand that from um, reviewing other um, other accidents. Uh, even, uh, uh, for example, the most famous, the Titanic, it took quite a while for the ship to sink. So uh, in that case, uh, the object that they uh, uh, collided with was above the water and they could see it. Um, in this case, they probably should have known that they uh, came too close but uh, they might not have actually felt an impact um, or anything else. They might have just opened up the hull with relatively little um, notice. I haven't heard any of the passengers describe that they were aware that there had been a, you know, that they felt a shudder or, a, you know, a, an impact uh, event um, early on. Well, Joe, it's time for us to wrap up and get your final thoughts along with your contact information. But as you close, one of the things that hasn't really been discussed in the news and we haven't talked about yet is salvage operations and pollution and contamination and removal of the fuel. As you wrap up and give us your final thoughts, can you touch on that, please? Yes, there is. Uh, they're going to have to, uh, they're in the process right now of offloading the fuel. Uh, I'm watching that because uh, if possible, I would want to have a, uh, I would want to boom off the ship if that's possible. I don't know what the weather conditions are. That's already are. been done. Yeah. And They've so you'd it want off. to uh, start fuel removal. Um, the salvage operation is going to be very difficult because any other vessels in the area are going to be uh, in shoal water themselves, and they will be around a ship uh, like the uh, Costa Concordia that might shift suddenly because so far, so much of the ship is actually out of the water. So depending on, um, you know, tidal conditions and sea and surf conditions, I could see the ship breaking up. So salvage will be a very difficult and risky operation. Um, one of the, Do you think this think is a situation where they're going to actually cut the boat apart or are they going to try and save it? Yeah, I think they will try and save it. Uh, but even trying to save it, it's got water inside the hull. Um, there's a fair chance that it'll break apart as they save it anyway. That's why I think it's going to be a very, very risky situation. I was going to say that the biggest difference in cruise ships and other ships is that, you know, freighters, tankers, and all that, they carry a cargo with a relatively small number of crew members, 25 or 30 crew members on a large ship is typical. In a cruise ship situation, the cargo 
to use that term, um, is human beings, 4,000 human beings uh, sometimes. And so there should be a heightened sense of safety and a heightened sense of situational awareness when you're approaching or leaving port and when you're approaching and leaving land. And I do hope that both uh, uh, the International Maritime Organization and the cruise ship uh, um, industry take a look at considering uh, heightened navigational um, awareness when they're entering and leaving ports and when they approach um, coastlines just for this, just to avoid these kinds of uh, examples. Uh, the one thing we didn't talk about uh, was whether or not uh, uh, there's any rule about women and children first to the lifeboats. And I wanted to take a moment just to uh, 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 my, one of my favorite Winston Churchill quotes uh, relating to the Costa Concordia. Uh, after Winston Churchill retired from political life, he was uh, often cruised the Mediterranean on Italian cruise liners. And the Italian journalists couldn't resist asking why the ex-British prime minister would choose Italian ships. And Churchill responded, there are three things I like about being on an Italian cruise ship. First, their cuisine is unsurpassed. Second, their service is superb. And then, in time of emergency, there's none of this nonsense about women and children first. <laughs> well, Joe, we also need to wrap up to get your contact information. So if you could give that to us so our listeners can reach out to you if they have any further questions. Uh, yes. Um, my telephone number is 949-567-7819. And my email address is j-o-s-e-p-h dot m-c-f-a-u-l at sedgwicklaw.com. Great. Well, thank you very much. We appreciate you being on the show today and answering all of our questions about this terrible disaster and uh, likely to continue and perhaps get even worse as the thing uh, is is salvaged and fuel is removed from it. So. Thank you for having Again, me. Again, Joe, thanks for being on the show. Uh, we need to wrap it up and say goodbye. Our, our, we're going to remind our listeners that they can get CLE credit through West Legal Ed Center for listening to Select Legal Talk Network podcast. Go to legaltalknetwork.com and click on the West Legal Ed Center. And you can also find all of our Legal Talk Network shows on iTunes. And Bob will be back again next week to discuss another great legal topic. When you want legal, think lawyer to lawyer. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. Every week, a new legal topic that you won't want to miss. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Somm. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.